This podcast is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hello and welcome to episode three of Hall and Wilcox's Smarter Law podcasts in relation to defamation. My name is Martin Ross, I'm a partner at Hall and Wilcox and Today, I'm chatting with defamation expert, Hamish McNair, about recent reforms in defamation law. Hamish, what are the reforms that we're talking about today? Today, we'll be talking about reforms uh, to what used to be referred to as the uniform defamation legislation. Uh, And uniformity is a great thing to have when we have national media outlets and TV channels and social media users. Um, And these reforms were driven by New South Wales, which is the defamation capital of Australia on a per capita basis. Um, And they've been picked up in in various states and territories. And what's the status of those reforms? Well, it's a bit messy. It's certainly a bit messier than it was supposed to be. So the reforms were agreed to and draft by all the attorney generals in each of the states and territories um, and they were supposed to be implemented at the same time, but unfortunately that hasn't occurred. So we've got a bit of a, a staggered situation. Okay. Well, when did the reforms come into effect? So the, the leaders that they have. <laughs> yes, exactly. So the leaders, um, like I said, uh, the leader of the reforms was New South Wales. So they were out in front. Uh, they were joined by Victoria, Queensland, South Australia and the ACT. So each of those jurisdictions started uh, commenced the reforms from the 1st of July, 2021. Um, Tasmania was a, um, a straggler. They implemented their reforms on the 12th of November, 2021. And unfortunately, Northern Territory and West Australia um, are yet to pass the amending legislation. So how does that work in terms of publications that were made at a particular point in time? What's covered and what isn't? It depends on when it was, um, when the publication occurred and also depends on where it occurred. So looking first at the time aspect, the reforms only um, apply prospectively, which means any publications which happened after the reforms came into effect. So there's a bit of a transition period here where there could be publications which occurred prior to the 1st of July, 2021, which are under the old regime and they have a 12 month limitation period. So it'd still be a a period of of, um, transition happening. And then the new regime will kick in for any, any new publications. And then, of course, there's the location aspect as well. So, you know, something said in Western Australia today is still going to be under the old regime, notwithstanding the fact that it's after um, the 1st of July 2021. So you get this really bad situation where something that can be said in Perth can be uh, can support a, defam- a defamation claim, whereas something in Melbourne, the same thing, would be a completely different situation. Sounds very complicated. What, what were the main reasons for these reforms? So... Uh, these are the first set of reforms to the, uh, I keep referring to them as uniform defamation legislation, but it's not going to be uniform anymore. But um, uh, these reforms, the defamation acts in each state and territory were previously identical and they were implemented in 2005. So given the passage of time since then, and particularly the emergence of social media, that was a big driver for it. And I think it, it's a really um, an illustrative example to look at Facebook. So what, how many users were on Facebook in 2005 when these defamation acts came in versus how many are on Facebook now? Although <laughs> recently there's been a bit of a drop, Martin, you might've seen in the press, but um, back in 2005, Facebook had 5.5 million users and it now has 2.89 billion users. So that just shows the expansion of um, social media since 2005 when these when these acts came into effect. So we really needed to update them. The other um, key issues for reform were the fact that there were too many small claims which were clogging up the system. 
for online publications, there was a perpetual limitation period because of the definition of publication as well. And I know the previous uniform legislation sought to try to cap or limit the amount of damages that were available in defamation action. Um, was that a consideration as part of these reforms? Yeah, it was. And this was driven by the um, the Rebel Wilson and the Jeffrey Rush cases. <clears throat> the Rebel Wilson case in Victoria, Jeffrey Rush case in, in New South Wales in the federal court. And what happened with that is that the um, the judges in those cases actually read the legislation in a particular way, which meant that they interpreted uh, the cap such that it wouldn't apply. So because they awarded aggravated damages, they decided that they could actually go above and beyond. So that was something which the, the legislature wanted to correct. Um, and another point to, to correct as part of these reforms was the fact that investigative journalists were having a really tough time. So it was necessary up until now for investigative journalists to really get every single fact right and perfect reporting, otherwise they were facing defamation claims. So that was another part to address. Okay. Sounds like there are quite a few drivers then for the recent reforms. Yes. And, and what then are the key elements of the reformed law? So the big ones are the new elements of serious harm, which is something we've touched on previously. Uh, there's the single publication rule for online publications. Uh, the caps have been reinstated on damages claims. There's a new public interest reporting defence. Um, and on top of that, there are lots of other reforms um, which pick up on various um, intricacies, which I'm not gonna, not gonna get to in this. Okay, well, let's dig a bit deeper then into each of those um, four key elements. Can you explain what is meant by serious harm? Well, this is something we touched on last week where I think you asked me the same question and I said, I don't know, but I think it's worthwhile having a bit of a deeper dive into, into where we're at on this point. So as we discussed last week, a plaintiff has to prove that the publication has caused or is likely to cause serious harm to the reputation. And this was adopted from the UK and they implemented it in 2013. So they've had a fair bit of time to, to wash it through their system and, and for their judges to consider what it means. We're waiting for Australian courts to work out what it means under Australian law, but um, one thing is for certain under the Act, under the amended legislation, is that um, excluded corporations, so this is where there's a corporate entity, um, as we know, 10 or less employees or for not-for-profit purpose, if they make a claim, and ha they have to have suffered serious financial loss. So that's only for a corporation. We don't know what it is for a, uh, uh, an individual. And in the UK, they had a, a key decision of their Supreme Court in 2019, where they, the court found there that the consequences the court must look at the consequences of the publication rather than the publication itself um, by reference to actual facts. So there's a degree of inference in terms of whether serious harm has or will be suffered, but you have to actually look at the effect, not the, so you don't look at something and say, wow, this is a highly defamatory publication. You have to look at, well, where was it published? How many people saw it? What was the effect of that on that person's reputation, for example? Okay. And how do you do that in practice? Well, it's difficult to, um, answer that question yet because we haven't really seen how it washes out but um, because the consideration of whether serious harm has or will be suffered is a question of fact it, it is plausible and anticipated that there will be actual evidence seduced from witnesses about the harm that's been suffered so on that basis there is capacity under the amended legislation for the question of whether serious harm has been suffered to be determined as a separate question which means that it can be determined up front before you actually get to the main trial of the proceeding. Hamish, the second key element of the new reforms that you mentioned was the single publication rule. What's meant by that? So what we're dealing with with the single publication rule is the issue of limitation periods. And this isn't actually an amendment to the um, defamation legislation themselves. It's actually an amendment to the, um, the statutes of limitation 
um, in each jurisdiction which deals with the time that you have in which to bring a claim. So for defamation, as we discussed previously, the standard uh, limitation period is 12 months, which starts from the date of publication. Um, and if that has expired, you can't bring your claim, although there is capacity in certain very limited circumstances to get that extended by up to three years. Um, but the issue in the context of online defamation, digital defamation, so social media, emails, anything on a website, is that the High Court has previously held that publication occurs every time someone downloads something to their device. So the issue we were having in, um, in the digital context is that the 12 month limitation period was resetting every time someone downloaded something. So if you had a, a post on Facebook, which stayed up there for 10 years, you could technically have a, an 11 year limitation period. So that was causing a significant imbalance between something which was um, published in a traditional forum, like on a newspaper or magazine or whatever it is versus um, online. Okay, that, that makes sense. And the laws tried to have caps on damages for defamation matters for a while now. What's changed in relation to those damages caps? So this is what we talked about previously in relation to general damages. So this is damages for harm to reputation where you haven't, um, as a separate head of loss to any economic harm that you've suffered. So the way in which legislation was intended to work back in 2005 um, and, and arguably now is that um, there's a sliding scale of between $0 and around $400,000 for general damages based on how um, severe or how serious the harm has been to your reputation. Um, but what happened in the Rebel Wilson and also the Jeffrey Rush cases is that the courts of appeal, the Court of Appeal in Victoria and, and the full court or the federal court in the Jeffrey Rush case um, decided that if there was an award of aggravated damages, the cap didn't apply such that they could actually, they referred to it as blowing the cap, <laughs> um, expanding out the damages that could be awarded for, um, for general damages. So in that case, Rebel Wilson, for example, received $600,000. Uh, Jeffrey Rush got $850,000 for general damages, notwithstanding the fact that the legislation says there's a cap of, of around 400, which is indexed. I keep saying around because it's a little bit different in each state, but it's around 400. So um, what the purpose of this reform was, was to make it clear that it is a sliding scale and that if there is an award of aggravated damages, it happens on top. So you've got very distinct um, heads of damage um, and you've got limits for each. Okay, great. The last um, key element that you raised was the new public interest reporting defence. What's that all about? So this is um, trying to give a little bit more wriggle room to investigative journalists. And I think particularly um, as we're speaking, the um, Ben Robert Smith case, which is playing out in the federal court in, in Sydney, is a great example of that, where there's been some investigative journalism. Um, in that case, I think that was the Fairfax newspapers um, looking into a particular issue um, of public interest and publishing an article, going behind the scenes and doing some digging. The issue that we had previously was that <clears throat> under the current regime, if journalists didn't get their story perfectly accurate, then they did face a degree of defamation risk. And the consequence of that issue or that the, the sharp edges of defamation law was actually stultifying investigative journalism. So um, it, it forces journalists to go back in their shell, whereas what we want is we want people to be um, undertaking that kind of investigative journalism and, and bringing out these issues. Again, that makes sense. So how do these reforms impact defamation law in a practical way? And what are some suggestions for clients who may be facing defamation matters or bringing defamation matters in the context of the new laws? So for potential, uh, potential plaintiffs, um, I think <laughs> the fact that 
West Australia and Northern Territory haven't yet caught up to the reforms means that you might actually be able to do some what we refer to as forum shopping. So choose a forum that actually suits your claim better. So um, if there's a national publication, for example, a newspaper or something online, which has been published in more than one place, then you might get a better run if you bring it in Perth than you did on the East Coast, um, if you could get to Perth, which is a problem for most of us. But um, because, for example, Western Australia doesn't have serious harm as, a, as an element of the cause of action at the moment. So that's an example of where you might be able to shop around and get a better, um, get a better run as a plaintiff. The, the fact that serious harm has been implemented on the East Coast and, and the jurisdictions I spoke about before means that it really is something we need to engage with at an early stage. And it's difficult for us to do that now um, because we're doing it in the abstract, but it really, it should cause plaintiffs to really think about whether they have a defamation claim and speaks to the law and really form a view about that. And from the defendant's side, I think, we need to be very careful about assessing whether there is serious harm because it's very easy to raise, but I think we really need to engage for that issue. Um, the third part is just dealing with this 12 month limitation period. Really, once that reforms come through with that single publication rule, if something's happened online, the key point is to not wait around. To the extent that you might've been able to um, extend that limitation period through each of those downloads online, um, and that could have extended the period of time you had. I think the important part is to to really get on top of that now. So see a lawyer, lawyer early. Get in, get, go early, go hard, go awesome. But. Thank, thanks Hamish for your time and the explanation. It sounds like these reforms sort of add a, another layer of complexity to what's already a potentially pretty, pretty hard area, but your explanation today was really interesting and made a lot of sense. Thanks also for presenting today, answering my questions. Um, and thank you for everyone who's listened today. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our ongoing You Can't Say That Defamation Explanation podcast series. Please join us again next week for our fourth and final instalment. In the meantime, if you have any questions about defamation law, please contact either Hamish or myself. You can find our details on the Hall & Wilcox website or follow us via social media, including on the Hall & Wilcox LinkedIn page. Thanks, everyone. Mm -hmm.